Well, if in your bulletin, if you have an outline, we invite you to take a, it, and it might help you follow along as, as I try to confuse you in my message. That, that's one of my goals, is to confuse you, you know? Really, I, I try to make the message clear so you, you have an idea what really what I'm trying to say, and even more so, what maybe God wants to say to us through His Word. And I, I think it was last week when Bill was preaching, he talked about asking God to illuminate the Word of God to us. And I particularly liked his, his precise word use of that word, illuminate, because as you think about someone speaking from the pulpit or from the Word of God, it's not our words that are inspired. It's the Word of God that's inspired. But what we try to do is illuminate, help it, help it become clear to us so that we understand it more, more clearly and deeply so it applies to our life. So whatever I say from the Word of God specifically, we know that's inspired. Anything else, hopefully, is helpful for us to understand God's inspired Word. I've, uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, I invite you to turn to the, the, the third gospel. So if you have an entire Bible, it's about two-thirds of the way through. You find Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and you'll run into that. And if you can turn to the ninth chapter, and we're going to be looking at the last part of that chapter. If you don't have a Bible, there might be one close to you underneath a seat uh, next to you. Uh, or not, you can just listen uh, as I read God's Word. And many of the, the cross-references are in that bulletin for you this morning, but the main text we'll be looking at this morning. But in it, and let me read the entire passage, and then we'll kind of go back and and kind of pick out some things I I believe God has for us. This is is an encounter, again, where we see Jesus doing life. And and when he did life, he he really illustrated what life is all about, and then when he encountered people who would come to him, he, he dealt with the issues or questions or concerns that they had. And so we just see Jesus finding teachable moments in people's lives that were teachable for them as they heard it, but also teachable for us as well. And here we pick it up in Luke chapter 9, beginning at verse 57. As they, this is the crowd that was with him, were going along the road, someone said to him, I, I will follow you wherever you go. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? And then Jesus said to him, uh, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Doesn't sound like an invitation to, to try to persuade someone to follow him. And, and then it goes on, he said, and he said to another one, follow me. And so he engages in the conversation, but he said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. Well, that sounds like something responsible to do. And, and then Jesus says to him, well, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Sounds to me like Jesus got a little preachy, didn't he? I mean, he, he kind of says some things that kind of shock us. I mean, where's the kind and gentle Jesus? You, you, you want to follow me? Well, you want to go bury your father? No, I'll have none of that. And then a third person comes to him and he says, uh, I will follow you, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. That's a little bit less of a commitment. Can I just say Goodbye. But Jesus said to him, no one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, in our series in the Gospel of Luke, it's just kind of intriguing to me that it came right after we had two straight messages. Bill did a great job uh, looking at the happiness of God. Really explained to us very clearly as we think about who God is. God is love, and God is all-powerful and all-knowing. He's uh, going to be our judge, but he's the happiest person in the universe. 
And not only that, if God is happy and we're his followers, he wants us to be what? Happy. And then all of a sudden, I read this passage, I'm thinking, Jesus. The one who said, I came to give you life and life more abundantly. What happened? What happened to the good news that he wants us to be happier, to use the word sometimes we use in religious circles, joyful? What happened here? And so as we wrestle this morning, what I used as a title was the truth about happy sacrifices. Because I think we'd all agree that the things he was telling these who were going to follow him, or at least were verbally saying they wanted to follow him, it sounds like more like sacrifice than a silly grin, right? Well, let's take a step back because I think the principles in God's word really mirror how life really is in other dimensions of life. And we can see it illustrated right here. We just celebrated with, with these young parents, their children, right? And if you notice, they all had silly grins on their faces, right? They were just so excited about being here. Maybe a little nervous, but they were excited about being here because they're beginning that, that journey of raising up their beloved children. But can I, can I throw a sobering note at you? I, you know, I looked it up this past week, and you know how much, how much your children are going to cost you? <laughs> and I could share a personal experience, but I thought I'd just look, give you hard data. They say if a child was born uh, anywhere between 2013 and 2014, if you add up your expenses between uh, before they get to college now, before they get to college, between uh, you know, being born in 2013 and 2014, when they get to age 18, they will cost you $245,000. In fact, some say if you put it by way of inflation, by, by that period of time, it will be over $300,000. Yeah. <laughs> do any of you want to put up your children for adoption right now? Okay. You know, you're thinking, why would anybody do this? And why would they seem to be happy about it? Well, because no matter what the sacrifice is, you realize, I don't care what it costs, that young life that, that God has given me is worth any expense I might pay. And as you think about life, that is so true in so many different areas. It's what you give up to get something much more important than what you already have that will bring you happiness. And if that be true, just in the normal life of having a child, and let's be real, we know some children bring great heartache to parents. But no parent starts out anticipating that to happen, right? Right? Because you're thinking this child is going to bring you more joy no matter what happens. I was reading another little survey, and we'll just pick on the dad just for a moment. And it talked about what does a dad sacrifice for becoming a father? What does a husband sacrifice? One, a change of lifestyle, you know. Uh, forget that sports car you wanted to drive. It's gone, all right? It's now going to be the minivan or, or whatever. Now they, they change it, you know. They don't, they don't call them minivans, but basically they're vans, okay? Uh, you have, uh, and, and, and put it this way, it's quite possible because in the, in the home, there is, there is the loving expressions that you, you just look forward to, to, to spend time with your child about, but eventually there has to be that D word, the discipline, you know? And it's quite possible the mom's going to play the good cop, and dad, you're going to have to be the what? Just wait till who gets home. 
<laughs> Just wait till your dad gets home, right? There's going to be changes. There's going to be sacrifices. Change of lifestyle, playing the bad cop, the time factor. Your time is not your own anymore. Money issues, we already talked about that. Even getting sleep. You're going to lose some sleep. Uh, the cool factor. You might think you're cool now because your children are young. Just wait. Just wait to the teenagers. I don't care how cool you think you are now. You're not going to be cool then, right? You're going to give up the cool factor. The dream job might affect where you can, what kind of job you pursue afterwards because you've got to keep providing now uh, your, your, your genuine passions. I mean, you know, before you have children, you know, you, you have a much more control of the remote control and ESPN is there all the time, but all of a sudden it's Hallmark movies, right? And we talked about that last week. You know, there, there's the household control. There's, there, and, and then at the very end, there's the letting go. There's the empty nest syndrome. So this person that has taken up all of your life is, is now gone. I mean, you still see them, but they're not in your home anymore. Why would anyone sign up for this? Because no matter what the sacrifice is, it brings so much happiness. Now, I'm just going to make a, a, a general comment here because some people ask me, and, and I talked to Bill about this as well. The Bible talks about Happiness and joy. And, and, and God wants us to pursue both. When we pursue joy, that is what is always sustainable and always available. Because for something to be something you long for, for it to be sustainable and available, it has to always be there, right? Well, the Bible tells us that our joy comes from the Lord. And so that is always offered to us. Uh, in, in your, uh, i got to watch how much time I get in my introduction here. All right. You know, in, uh, in your outline this morning, just by way of what Jesus said, Jesus said, can we all who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you what? Rest. And you could have added, actually added, I'll give you rest even when you're tired. Because when you come to me, I will renew your energy. I'll be there no matter what the burden is around you. My, you know, there, there's many burdens in the world, but my burden is, is light compared to the, the burdens of this world. That's always available. So that's a joy you can always have because Jesus never leaves. John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you, not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. We, we live in troubled times. And, and troubled times in terms of the, the, the macro level, the what's happening in the world, but let's, get, let's, get, let's be honest. It happens at the micro level, which is in our own homes. And where does peace come from? It comes from a relationship with the Lord, that in the midst of the troubles, he's there. And in John 15, 11, the joy word, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. I always like this passage because it says so many things. It's, it's, it's an offer of joy, but what kind of joy? Well, it's, it's Jesus' joy. And as we heard the last couple of weeks, there is no more joyful being in the universe than God himself because, because he, he, he is the inventor of life. And, and in case we don't fully understand his joy, he says, I want you to understand this is a full joy. A, a full joy that is not shallow in the midst of challenge or even suffering. And we could, we could go many passages where the Bible tells us that we ought to anticipate suffering. And even trials, things that go wrong. The least favorite verse in the Bible, count it all joy, my brother, when you encounter various, what? Trials. Well, who wants to do that? 
unless we know that God has a bigger plan for it. So, so God offers us joy, and, and he wants us all to pursue happiness, the things that we, we, enjoy, we, we have pleasure in. Just, just the event itself brings a smile, if not on our face, in our heart. When someone celebrates a birthday, you don't say joyful birthday, you say what? Happy birthday. Why? Because it's, it's a pleasurable experience. You don't have to go to the Lord to make it happy. It is just happy by itself. If, if there's a hobby you enjoy doing, if you're a golfer and like to golf, you know, you're, you don't have to pray the Lord help me. Well, if you golf like I do, you do. But if, if you know... <laughs> You know, you just say, just being out here, I just, it's so awesome. I'm happy just playing golf or whatever it is. You, if you like to cook or bake or whatever it might be, just doing the event brings you happiness. And that's, that's all right to pursue things you enjoy doing. But you can't always do the things you, you, you find pleasure in. Life is full with its challenges. But God invites us to do things that, that bring us happiness but to recognize in the midst of it, our joy is that which will sustain us and always be available. So with that as a context, here we have Jesus talking to some people in a surprising way. We talked a couple weeks ago that there are things in the Bible that are confusing. Confusing not so much that on two levels. Sometimes we can't understand them, and that's always frustrating. But on the other hand, sometimes we can understand it at least conceptually, but it doesn't seem to fit, right? These words that Jesus used here are pretty, pretty straightforward. I mean, some of them have a little bit of a nuance that we'll see in a moment. But we, 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 it doesn't seem to somehow fit with the joyful, happy God, and these are challenges of life. And I'll make this like general statement. is we think about Jesus inviting us, people we care about, into a life with him. He isn't, a, I don't know why used car salesmen always get the, the blunt to this, but he's not a used car salesman, offering one thing and giving you something else. And there are honest used car salesmen. I have to throw this in as well. Whenever someone tells you something you don't like to hear, what do they say? Will you quit preaching at me? I get offended by that. Let me just tell you, you know, you know. <laughs> You know, Jesus preached, all right? You know, we, we say that. I mean, I've probably said that as well. But, but as we think about it, when Jesus said it, he, he wasn't getting any false pretenses. He was simply telling the truth. And sometimes the, tr- the truth is hard to hear, but it's what's good for us, right? So, so he's with a group of people. So they were walking uh, down the road. And who's the they? Well, it's not defined specifically in the text, but I think it's pretty obvious probably what the they was. It was a... It was a it was not a homogeneous unit. There were a variety of people and then they. There were those who were in the 12. They, they, were, they were all in. They, they were fully committed to Jesus Christ. They were fully devoted followers of Christ. They weren't perfect. We hear that over and over in Scripture. They were messing up all the time. But they, they had made that life commitment to Jesus and knew what it meant and were willing to count the cost and, and had, had made that choice, that sacrifice of life because they realized, and it's all right to believe this, that this is the happiest life you're ever going to live. Not the easiest, but the happiest life you'll ever live if you follow after God, because that's the source of joy. And then there was another group in the day, and, and they had already made a decision, and it was, it was totally um, you know, in cement, if you want to put it that way. These are the people who were hostile to Jesus. 
And they were kind of of, of my cult. They, they were the religious leaders. They were, they, were, they were religious people. And they didn't like Jesus. In fact, they hated Jesus. They were changing everything that they thought was sacred. The problem with what they thought was sacred wasn't truthful. They took the law of God, which was, was for man's benefit and to show us our need for him, and they had twisted it so much that it was, it was making people just so far from God that they, they weren't open to the love and grace and mercy of what Jesus came to give. And so they were looking for any opportunity to trip up Jesus. So you had the fully committed and the fully uncommitted. But then you had that group in the middle. You know, on a political say, these were the undecided, right? You know, here are the people who haven't decided who they're going to vote for. And amidst that crowd, Luke records for us the th- three examples of the people who are on the uncommitted section. And we're going to look at that for a moment. It's only recorded in one of the, there are four Gospels, and the four Gospels will, uh, sometimes they'll give us four looks at the same event, sometimes they'll give us two looks at the same event, sometimes there's only one author who will speak to it. Well, in Matthew, he gives us one little or a couple little things that kind of help us up to at least understand a little bit about the person who is talking to Jesus, which sometimes is helpful, right? Context is everything. But Luke says this, uh, and they were coming along the road, and someone said to him, and the him there is capitalized in a lot of your Bibles, this is in reference to Jesus, and I'm preaching out of the New American Standard version this morning. Uh, in the Matthew account, in Matthew chapter 8, it says, the person who came to Jesus was a scribe. Now, you might not know a whole lot about a scribe. Maybe you know more about scribes than I do. But basically what scribes were, they were the scholars of the day. They were the people who, who knew this book, at least the first two-thirds of it, backwards and forwards. And the reason they didn't know the last third of it, because it hadn't been written yet, the New Testament. They knew the Old Testament very, very well. And sometimes when we're in settings like this, uh, and I know it's kind of, and I experience this when I go to different churches. They sing songs I don't know, and I don't know. Am I supposed to stand up? Am I supposed to sit down? Am I supposed to clap? Am not supposed to clap? Am I supposed to speak loud? Am I supposed to be you know, quiet? You know, what, am I supposed to, whatever am I supposed to do? And I don't know because it's the first time I've been there. Sometimes we get intimidated with people because they, they seem to know the Bible a lot better than us and go, well, I don't want to look like a fool and say something everybody knows and I don't know. Well, the, the scribes were, were those people. They knew the Bible backwards and forwards. And in case I don't say this later, let me just say this. The Bible the, the Bible's given us not for so much our information, but for our transformation. It's to change us. It's not just to make us, I know more than you do. In fact, the Bible says that we have to be careful that knowledge will puffeth up, which is an Old Test, uh, King James way to say, it'll make you proud if you think you're the smartest person in the world. That is never what God wants us to handle this book with. It's to point us in the right direction. Well, this scholar comes up to Jesus, and he's been watching and hearing about Jesus. I mean, it's pretty hard to, to not to be impressed with Jesus, at least on the surface. I mean, all the miracles he did, and every time he taught, people were just amazed at, his, at how profound and, and just directed into life his teaching was. They said, this man has to be from God. And so he had come to that conclusion. I think I want, I want to identify with this person. I want to be known as one of his pupils. In the Matthew account, it says this. He addresses Jesus with the term teacher, or if you want to use an Old Testament perspective, rabbi. 
And in those days, the, those who really understood the truth, communicated well, and, and, and people saw that in them, they would have a, a, a group of people follow him. They, that would be his students and his pupils. And here was a man who was willing to humble himself, said, you know, I, I do know a whole lot about this book, but I think you know some things about it that I don't know, and I'm willing to follow you. I'm willing for you to instruct me. And this would have been surprising, not to Jesus, but it would have been surprising to everybody else because they're thinking, this is a person who doesn't do this because he became a scribe authorized and, authentic, and being authenticated by the Jewish leaders who hated Jesus. This was a big step. He, he was going to someone who had basically corrected everything he had probably taught in the past and saying, I think I need to want to go down this path. And it's quite possible the disciples were saying, all right, we got one of them. <laughs> we're going to put him on the testimony circuit. We're going to put him up in front and say, look at how powerful Jesus is. <laughs> he got a scribe to follow him and to believe in him. Isn't that pretty impressive? Jesus, don't let this one go. You called us to be fishers of men. You got him on the hook. Make sure you what? Reel him in. <laughs> but what does Jesus say to him? He says, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Lay his head. Jesus, you're blowing it here. You're gonna, you have the deal already to be signed, and you're trying to talk him out of it. Why did he do this? And really, what was he saying by this strange statement? He says, I, I, I want you to realize that and then I'll get somehow back to the outline a little bit. You, what, what I'm calling you to is going to be awesome, but it's not going to be easy. Just like being a parent. It's going to, it's going to be awesome. It's not going to be easy. It, it's going to be the greatest blessing in your life, but it's not going to be easy. And if you haven't counted the cost, let me tell you right now, you're not going to be much of a parent. And you don't know all the costs that's going to happen, but let me tell you, it's not going to be easy. And let me just give you a general picture of it. If you're going to follow me, you must accept hardships. It's interesting, I was reading one particular author on this particular section, and he made a very simple observation here, is that when they're talking about following Jesus, this is the same word he uses for everybody. When he called the, the 12, he, he used this same word here, akaletheo, which has the idea of just follow me, follow me. I'm leading, you're the one to follow after my path. But whenever Jesus called people to follow him, he always put it in the present tense, which means what I'm asking you to do is, is not just for a moment. It's not like you sign up today and decide, well, maybe tomorrow I don't want to do it. No, no, this is an ongoing relationship with me. And this ongoing relationship, I want you to understand, it's going to have its challenges. You know, this is considered the foxes. You know, the foxes, they don't build any buildings. They don't leave a legacy of the, of the edifices that are built, the skyscrapers. But even the foxes have little holes at night when they're cold, they, they crawl under I don't have one of those. And, and the birds, you know, they, they don't build anything else other than these little nests and trees where they can, they can reside and give birth to other birds. <laughs> but I don't have a nest and I don't have a hole to crawl into. 
Now, sometimes when we, when we, when we hear Jesus speak, he does use hyperbole. He, he, does, he, he does use a significant word picture to, to challenge us to the depths of our soul. In many ways, this was not hyperbole. It was to a certain degree. There were times where Jesus would, would be at Mary and Martha's house, Lazarus. There were times he went into Peter's home. But he's talking about that the vast majority of time, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm somewhat homeless. In fact, if you look at that, we had just read last couple weeks, a couple weeks before Bill was sharing, that when he was going into the Samaritan area, they reject him so much that you can't stay here. And it ticked off his disciples so much, they want to call down fire from heaven. Of course, they couldn't do it. Only God can do that. But they were so angry. And Jesus said, look, I didn't come here to destroy people. I came here to save people. But they wouldn't even let him spend a night someplace. If you look at his hometown, Nazareth, quite frankly, what happened there is, is he went back to that town. They got so irritated with him, they, they rejected him, sent him out of town. In fact, before they got out of town, they wanted to throw him off a cliff. And of course, you can't throw Jesus off a cliff unless he wants you to throw off a cliff, so that didn't happen. And, and Capernaum, there was such a reaction to him that, that Jesus just spoke so prophetically on them about the judgment that was to come because they rejected the one who had come to, to, to rescue him. And so as we think about challenging you to, to experience the greatest joy that has ever lived in life, which is knowing the one who, who loved you so much he sent his son to die for you, I want you to understand it's going to be awesome, but it's not going to be easy. And so this one who came to Jesus, Jesus didn't come to him. He came to Jesus. He said, look it, you need to count the cost. It's not going to be easy. There are going to be hardships. And I'm sure some of you today, you're looking at your journey with God and you're wondering, do I want to hang in there? Because you're thinking, I didn't sign up for this. And there are people I know, and I don't have time to share their experiences, but I'm so glad God didn't give those hardships to me. I'm not sure I could handle the hardships they're going through. But then you look at the cross, and we'll be looking at that at Communion. And you realize, no matter what hardship you go through, Jesus endured much, much more than you'll ever experience in this life. And you have a life to come that is better than anything this world has to offer. That verse we have for you, which we'll look at in a moment, is, is uh, in, in Luke chapter 9, verse 24. But, but whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. That doesn't make any sense unless Jesus is the one who gives life way beyond than this world has to offer. In fact, that's what we want to get to real quickly in the time we have left. Let's look at the other two people who come to Jesus. But he, Jesus said to him, uh, well, look at verse 59. And he said to another, follow me. Now we have Jesus a little bit different. Not the ones coming to him, but now Jesus is coming to, to that person. And he makes a call in their life. And if you're theological, they'll say, this is, not, this is the universal general call, not the irresistible sovereign call. But whatever you want to say to it, this is Jesus calling for someone to follow him. And there's a response from the person. He says, Lord, permit me to go and bury my father. What's wrong with that? I just lost my father this year. Not lost, not... not, not in the fact that I don't know where he is, but he's no longer here for me to enjoy being with. 
And Jesus said, you don't have really the right to do this because this is what he said. Allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. So as we think about the call of God, which is a happy sacrifice, it's not only must we accept hardships, but you could put it this way. You must determine your priority. Now, this is a tough one, isn't it? If you know a little bit about the Jewish culture, you realize that what this person was doing was really playing games with God in Jesus. Because he said, can can I go bury my father? But you need to realize his, his father hadn't died yet. And the reason we know that, there are those who sometimes look at this passage and they say, well, maybe he, he had died. He wouldn't even let him go to the funeral that day. Well, you, you, you need to understand that that, uh, that was not that was happening. Because what would happen, he would have been already at the funeral. And we will have times where someone dies and it's going to be, the, the service will be fairly immediately, but a lot of times it's two or three or four days, five days, sometimes a week. I've done a funeral where six months after the person had died. And what he was saying, I've got some things I want to make sure I get. I I want the inheritance of of my family, and I I want to hold on to this before I go after you. There's some things in life anybody can do, but there's only one thing that we only can do, and that's tell people about how you can enter into God's rule, God's life, God's kingdom. He says, "Don't, don't play games with me. What is your priority? Is your priority me or other things in life? You know, I've hopefully had some fun with the parents this, this morning, but can, can I say this to you as, as parents? You, your child is so important to you. I, I can see that in, in your lives. If you want to be a good parent, can I say to you that the best way you can be a a great parent is to love your spouse more than your children. If you want that family to be filled with a foundation, love the other parent. You You want that children to be raised in a secure home. So don't make it a child centered home. Love, love your spouse. But, but can I also say this too? If you really want to do great as a parent, not perfectly, and it doesn't mean you're not going to mess up, there's someone else you need to love more than even your spouse, and that's love Jesus. Because when you love Jesus more than anything else in this world, he will, he will direct you and lead you to be the best parent possible. We, we, are, we are so prone to selfishness. We are, we are, we are so prone to, to try to do things our own way. And only God knows the best way to love your child. And that's really what he was saying here. Look, if you're really, really going to follow me, you've got you to gotta trust that I am a good God. I am, I am a good Savior. I'm a good Messiah. I know what's best for you. He wasn't saying here that we, we, we can't go to our, a loved one's funeral, but he said, you need to understand if you go there, what's most important? Who do you love most? For him, it, it might have been the riches of this world because he wanted to make sure that no one got what he thought his father had promised him. 
And Jesus said, look, if you're going to follow me, you got to decide what your priority is. And then finally, and quickly, and another also said, I will follow you, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said, no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. This seems a lot less than simply saying, I've got to wait till my, my, my loved one, my father, my mom, or whoever else I'm waiting for to die, because that could have been weeks, could have been months, could have been years. Can I just simply say goodbye? Now, we don't know the backstory of this, and I can only invent possibilities in this. It's quite possible, again, that this person was, was struggling with who he cared about most. The, the, the kind and gentle and meek Jesus did say some hard things in Scripture. He, he did say, if you, if you love mother, brother more than me, then you have nothing to do with me. And I think he simply said here, you, you got to have a focus in life. This is what really matters. In your life groups this week, we're going to ask you, say, well, what are some common experience, uh, experiences you had in making excuses for things you knew you ought to do but you didn't do? Or, or somehow you didn't, you didn't come through with what you had promised. You know, my, the dog ate my homework, you know, kind of, uh, you know, question. We all can come up with excuses why we don't do the things we know God wants us to do. And if we're always looking back, we're not going to be looking forward in, in terms of what's the direction that my life needs to be. What really matters? And Jesus said it strongly at times. God wants us to experience life to its fullest. That's what it means to have an abundant life. God wants us to experience joy. Not only just joy but his joy, not just his joy, but full joy. But it's going to come at a cost and a price. There are no superficial relationships with Jesus. When uh, each of these families knew that they were going to have a, a, a child, I, I'm sure the description of that is, uh, I'm kind of pregnant, you know. No one's ever kind of pregnant, right? They're either pregnant or they're not pregnant. And sometimes we talk to people, uh, uh, are you a Christian? Do you, are you a follower of Jesus? Do you really believe? Well, I, I kind of believe. There is no kind of believe in Jesus. There is, there is a full commitment to him. And I want you to understand, well, I'm not talking about this huge amount of faith. The Bible says that you can be saved with a mustard seed of faith. Just, just a... <laughs> A genuine seed of faith. And I'm not saying, too, that you're coming to Jesus and say, well, uh, I don't think I'm worthy. You know what Peter's response to Jesus, one of the very first times he met Jesus, and Jesus did one of his, I would call one of his simplest uh, miracles. It was a fishing store. They were out on the boat all night, couldn't catch anything. Just throw the nets on the other side. All Jesus had to do was move the fish from one side to the other side. They got all that fish. And you know what Peter's response was? Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. If you think you're unworthy, you're in good company. We're all unworthy. But what he's calling us is to a full commitment. And say, Jesus, I don't know what it's all going to entail. I don't know what sacrifices I'm going to have to make in the future. I don't know how hard it's going to be, but it's worth it. There is no other place to go. To experience God's forgiveness from sin 
God's direction in your life, finding your purpose as to who you are, knowing what you are to do with your life, then being fully devoted to Him with a mustard seed of faith. Understand how unworthy you are, but how loving He is. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we are amazed at how much you love, you love us. And we do feel so unworthy because we are unworthy. But when Jesus went to the cross, his death was sufficient for us to be forgiven of our sin when we put our life in your hands. If I would pray for anyone here this morning, that no matter where they have come from or how much experience they've had with you, but I'd like each of us just to be honest with you. And I'd like each of us to say, Lord, I, I, I want to be fully committed to you. I want to trust you with my life. No matter how difficult it might be, but because of the joy that you can give and the forgiveness that you can, can grant us, I surrender my life to you. I put my life in your hands to be the leader and forgiver of my life. Now as we take communion, might it be a time of remembrance what happened for this to be true for us. Jesus' death and resurrection. And we praise in Christ's name. Amen.